Unwritten contains mature language, content, and themes. Please listen with care. Gerald frantically bursts into his office building. Is anyone still here? He hurries down the main hall, looking for any office that might still have a light on. Someone needs help! He rounds a corner and sees light coming from under a nearby office door. He runs to it and tries the knob, but it's locked. He pounds on the door. Are you still in there? It's Jerry Wagner. I need help. A bleary-eyed grad student opens the door. Gerald grabs the student's arm and runs, half-dragging the student along. I already called the police, but we can't wait. Gerald hits the exterior doors running, not pausing to hold them open for the grad student. The pair race to the student union. The grad student skids to a stop and points at the tree where the dummy had been tied earlier that week. The student's mouth moves, but no sound comes out. Don't just stare! She needs our help! Got it all. It's just unwritten, not putting it off. Just trying to figure it out. If what I say comes to fruition with these words, I can't play around. Walking on a wire. Dayton Writers' Movement presents Unwritten, starring Luna Madison, Jordan Lopez, David Senator, and I'm Sean Gunther. Season 2, Episode 4, Tales of Women and Ghosts. Written by Grace Poppy. Directed by Chris Burnside. Also starring Norb Wessels, Donald Smith, Carly Reisenhoover-Peterson, Connor Peterson, Liz Rosevere, Adrian Miller, Zach Duncan, and Dodie Lockwood. A week earlier, outside the student union, Chelsea's eyes crawl over the dummy tied to the tree, painted with swords impaling gender symbols. Students swarm the scene. Chelsea holds her phone to her ear. Dean Wagner, it's Chelsea. Get to the student union. You really need to see this. Chelsea hangs up the phone and hears shouts and jeers from inside the crowd. She sprints closer, weaving through bystanders, and spots a gaggle of students taking selfies with the dummy. Excuse me, do you have any idea what you're doing? Get away from there, don't touch anything. One of the guys, emboldened by the crowd, laughs and takes another picture. A couple of his cronies laugh. A few other students, ashamed, back away. Posting this on your story? I am severely disappointed. You should be standing up for your classmates, not reveling in an attack against them. The crowd quiets. Selfie guy and his friends back away from the dummy. 
We need to be working together to figure out who did this, not building up disturbing social media portfolios. A few students have their phones out, presumably recording Chelsea. She spots a news anchor fighting his way to the front, accompanied by a camera person. Do you have a permit to be here? Everybody clear out! If you know any details of who did this, come to the Dean of Students' office right away. The next morning, Elaine is sleeping on Chelsea's couch. Rain clouds shift outside the window. Shadows play across the ringing alarm clock. Dinah pads into the living room, leaps onto the couch, and kneads her paws into Elaine's blanket, purring loudly. Elaine sits up suddenly, hair stuck to her mouth, and whips her head toward the clock, which reads 7.35. Jesus, Dinah. Ouch, ouch! Why do you think that's endearing? Dinah purrs even louder and tries to rub her face against Elaine's. Elaine pulls the blanket over her face. Chelsea is so much nicer in the mornings. Wait, Chelsea, why didn't she wake me up? Dinah meows, jumps down from the couch, and trots over to Chelsea's room, her tail curling around the half-open door. Elaine rushes into the bedroom. Chels, wake up! You're late! You're late? You're never late! Chelsea snaps awake, her arms flailing. Cheese? Did you say cheese? Chelsea rubs her eyes. Dinah jumps up on the bed and rolls over on her back, snuggling close to Chelsea. Oh, hi, Lainey. Hi, little Dinah. No, I decided to go in later today. With yesterday being so overwhelming and everything, I'm just exhausted. She plops back down on her pillow. Are you avoiding confrontation with Dean Wagner? Am I rubbing off on you? No, not necessarily avoiding. Just trying not to deal directly with him. I am rubbing off on you. Chelsea sits up slowly, groaning. Mm, my office was so crowded with students yesterday that I barely had to talk to him. Not like he's going to console students who are upset. Typical Gerald. The crime itself is the furthest thing from his mind. Dinah trudges into the bathroom, hops up onto the sink, and meows. <coughs> Can you turn on the water for her? Elaine raises her eyebrows. She walks over to the bathroom, makes sure Chelsea isn't looking, then turns the water on directly over Dinah's head. Dinah hisses and leaps away. Hey, Lainey, you should get to work before your giant baby boss yells at you. I guess. Are you going to be okay? Chelsea looks overly flattered by the question. I, of course. I'll be great. I'll handle everything. Thanks. Elaine smiles. She grabs her sales manual, Get With The Program 2.0, and clicks the door shut. Dinah sulks in the room with sopping wet fur. Who knew working with electronics would make her so personable? Elaine enters through the front doors of Big Box with her name tag pinned sideways on her uniform polo. She looks down, realizes she is still holding Get With The Program 2.0, and stuffs it in her bag as she passes Devin at the register. The title peeks out over the top of her purse. Morning, sunshine. Boss wants to see you in the back room. Elaine looks at her watch. But I'm on time. I'm always on time. Devin shrugs. Elaine drags her feet into the back room. Chuck stacks boxes and turns around when he hears her enter. Pineapple girl, finally showing up for your 9 a.m. shift? It's 
Devon and Electronics said you're ready to start making sales. He did? Well, I, I guess I've been studying a bit. Elaine pulls out her sales manual. That's corporate approved. Very good. It also talks about selling TVs and computers. Some of it seems pretty outdated, though. Corporate still lists that as a first-stage training manual. It can't be that outdated. It discusses floppy disks. Corporate has their reasons. Would those reasons be related to our inventory system running on MS-DOS? Smarter people than you work at the top. That's why they run things. Your big sale can wait, though. I need you in aisle 53. It's back to school season, and our PTA moms will be needing their color-coded binders for the little ones. Just got a new shipment in a chartreuse and carnation pink. I can do that. That's the spirit. And stay out of the break room fridge today. I'm locking it off until I can find out why my applesauce keeps vanishing. Elaine makes a face, then turns, headed for the door. Also, Elaine, um, those trousers that you're wearing, I, uh... Well, I'm worried they don't exactly follow corporate policy. Wouldn't want you or me to get in trouble by the district manager. Add our employee regulations manual to your reading list. You can ask Devin if you need any shopping pointers. Elaine's eyes narrow. She doesn't turn around. I'm sure it will make a great lunch break read. Elaine unboxes binders and adds them to an end cap display. She is watched by Edith Wharton, famous early 20th century author, who waltzes along the aisles in a rose-colored hoop skirt. Her hair is laced back into an intricate updo. She brushes her puffy bangs out of her face as she scrutinizes the binders. These are called skinny jeans. And guess what Devin is wearing today? Oh, that's right. Male skinny jeans. Just a skinny, but for males. I know, my dear, I know. It is impossible for the man to understand the female experience until he can walk a mile in, well, not her pants. No, that doesn't sound right. Well, I, for one, am just thrilled that women get to wear pants at all. I was forced to wear a skirt my entire life. You're supposed to be helping me here. If I'm not allowed to punch Chuck in the face, can you at least give me tips on how I can prove him wrong and make my big sale? Oh, you know that is not my area of expertise, darling. I'm just holding you accountable. Have you been writing lately? You know the answer to that. I've been working. Have you been creating any art at all that helps another? What have you done about the recent campus events? Oh, what do you know about social justice? You've only ever written romance novels. Besides, it just happened yesterday. Give me a break here. The novels I wrote are ones you spent many evenings staying up to read. Am I mistaking myself, or is it you that has an imitation Pulitzer Prize with my name on it on your desk at home? Yesterday is no excuse. Writing has to happen fast before people forget what's in front of them. Elaine blushes. Warden picks up a stack of binders and mounts a stepladder to reach the highest shelf. That Pulitzer did not win itself, dear. I had to fight for my education. I had to write in secret even from my family. Back then, it was revolutionary for a woman to be writing at all, content notwithstanding. I suppose. And who says that romance and social justice have to be separate? Women's rights are related to romance. LGBTQ rights are related to romance. Well, there's only so much I can juggle at one time. I don't want to get overwhelmed again. Ah, yes. But you did set up a meeting with Dr. Lemon for later today. 
That's supposed to make me less overwhelmed. You're trying to get her help. To re-enroll. Finish school? Well, yes, but it's more about my mental health. That's what you're telling her. And yourself. All I'm saying is that if you have time to think about school on top of work, you have time to write. Why don't you make yourself useful and make me a cheat sheet about flat screens on those index cards over there? Obnoxious neon colors. They're redder than Ethan Fromm's broken pickle dish. A middle-aged man walks up to Elaine next to his seven-year-old son. Hi there. I'm just looking for a blue binder for my son. Or black or gray, something for boys. All we saw on the display were yellow and pink. Wharton breathes in sharply. They're actually chartreuse, not yellow. Looked yellow to me. Level head, dear. Level head. Well then, perhaps I could find him a testosterone red or a traditional pickup truck black. You know, keep away those girly notions like kindness and empathy. I'm looking for blue and the name of your supervisor. You know what, forget it. I'll ask the guy at the front desk. He grabs his son by the hand and storms off. I think I'm getting the hang of this. We have some things to work on. These people need me. Perhaps, but you need a wider audience than Timmy and his daddy. Time to make that big sale. Elaine stands in front of a large flat screen, wringing her hands and talking to a young couple. Devin and Chuck stand behind the couple at the register. Chuck has a clipboard in his hand, and Devin is holding Elaine's copy of Get With The Program 2.0, both watch Elaine incredulously. So, uh, in conclusion, um, the fear of failure is vastly different from the fear of success. And if you fear failure, no, that, that's not right. As she speaks, Devin flips back and forth from the chapter titled How to Pitch a Fastball to Electronics, the Nittiest of the Gritty. He looks from the manual to Elaine and back again. Uh, okay, okay. So, remember, I'm just an average gal. If I can take the leap, so can you. Thank you for visiting Big Box, the superstore for all of your home needs. Including, of course, a TV. Elaine smiles weakly and gestures her hands to the TV in a ta-da fashion. The couple looks bewildered. Wharton stands next to them and claps. Um, Elaine, I believe they just asked where the bathrooms are. Pretty sure they need a TV. Sir, ma'am, if you'll follow me, I'll show you the bathrooms. Thank you for shopping with us! How'd I do? I'm just an average gal. It's from the book. Yeah, I don't think it is. They're not going to buy a TV, are they? Maybe after they pee? An hour later, Elaine is sitting in the break room with her head in her hands. Wharton is reassuringly patting her back. The break room refrigerator is wrapped in yellow caution tape. What am I supposed to tell Dr. Lemon later? That getting into the real world has really improved my social skills? That she should be impressed because I've held down a job for an entire week? Well, dear, at least you have your writing. Devin knocks lightly on the open door and enters holding the manual. Let me guess. They didn't buy the TV. No, but I did see them both enter the same bathroom. Methinks there's something untoward afoot. Don't joke. I embarrassed myself. 
and showed Chuck that I don't belong here. Devin waves his hand. I talked to Chuck. Told him you were just stressed, that I'd help you prepare better next time. Elaine looks up. Why would you do that for me? Because we're friends, and you needed someone to cover for you? Yeah, but... Lane, there are two ways of spreading light. You do have friends, don't you? To be the candle, or the mirror that reflects it. Kind of. Okay, well, see, there's these people who hang out with you, and look out for you, and do stuff for you. They're called friends. Elaine's phone lights up with a calendar notification labeled... August Andrea and Gage Orama that Chelsea programmed for her. Elaine wears her best FML expression. What's the matter? Kind of friends cancel on you? I wish. Elaine, candle. I just have this engagement party thing tonight. Not really looking forward to it. Not looking forward to it like you'd rather stay home and binge the Twilight Zone? Or not looking forward to it like... It's for your mortal enemy, and this will be your final battle. Elaine, candle. Kinda both? Well, hey, all the friends in my life decided to take a road trip week, so at least you have something to do. Reflect, reflect, reflect. Well, if you want someone to hang out with, you're welcome to join my friends and me. But you've already saved me once today, so if you're tired of that- Not at all. You'd be saving me from boredom. Just let me know what time to meet you. Speaking of time, I gotta get back. See you later. After he leaves, Warden walks over to the break room window. A social life. Set wide the window, let me drink the day. Elaine rolls her eyes and looks at the clock on the wall. Definitely time for lemon. Chelsea sits in her office, talking on the phone with Drea. She looks at two lists in front of her. One list is labeled Drea's Desires, and the other Chelsea's Creations. The latter has squiggles and stars drawn around it. Chelsea reads off Drea's list first. Okay, so I have champagne glasses, plates, balloons, yada yada, tablecloths, party favors, anything else super dull that I can add to the list? You forgot napkins. We don't need those. If you get any cake on your face, August will definitely take care of it. If you know what I mean. Gross, Chelsea. <laughs> you know you're marrying the guy, right? Still. Okay, now time for the items of actual necessity. Chelsea refers to the lists titled Chelsea's Creations. Now before you say I shouldn't do any of this, you should know that most of these details are finalized and you don't have much of a say anyway. Oh shit, you didn't. <clears throat> I will provide a male stripper for you, a female stripper for me. I don't want a stripper. Fine. One for Elaine, then. If I don't want a stripper, Elaine definitely does not. One extra stripper for anyone. You do know the difference between an engagement party and a bachelorette party, right? Um, a giant magenta sash for you, two mini sashes for Elaine and moi, a crown that says long live tequila queen. No strippers. Strawberry margarita mix in case the bar only has regular and a shot glass with a quote from Hamilton. <gasps> that about covers it. Yep. Can you just remember to pick up the balloons? August really wanted those monograms. Chelsea pulls the phone away from her ear and looks at it with her eyebrow raised. Chelsea, can I come in? Oh, uh, hi, just a second. Gotta go, Drea. Code Mussolini. 
both of our initials, and no strip. Chelsea hangs up the cell phone and puts the office phone to her ear. Uh, come in, Dean Wagner. Gerald opens the door, holding a mug of French roast coffee. The scent of the fresh brew wafts into the room, and steam swirls above the mug. Chelsea clears her throat and continues speaking into the phone. Well, Senator, it was a great privilege to hear your opinion on the matter. I'm so glad we seem to be in agreement. If you don't mind, I actually have a meeting, but I can definitely call you back. Your office walls are very thin, Miss Wu. Chelsea slowly places the office phone back on the receiver and looks up at Gerald. Hello, Dean Wagner. Greetings, Coordinator. Word travels fast here. The video of you doing crowd control has over 700 views. And that's great, right? Maybe for you. Gerald paces around Chelsea's office, stopping to look at the picture of Drea, Chelsea, and Elaine giggling and holding drinks on Chelsea's last birthday. Do you know why it's not great for me, Miss Wu? I'm sure you'll tell me. Gerald places his mug down and leans over the desk. It is not great because you and I were not aligned about what you should say, about what you should do. It is not great, Miss Wu, because you did not wait for me to arrive at the scene. You did not wait for me to speak with the reporters myself. All due respect, I handled it appropriately. I dispersed the students, preserved the scene for police, and required the reporter to get a permit. I should have waited to do all of that until you arrived? I probably should have called the police before you. Chelsea, these events directly prompted the creation of the Conclusion Initiative Task Force. Any press related to these graffiti incidents is press about the task force. <laughs> You're kidding, right? These are hate crimes, not publicity for your initiative. Perhaps I should sign you up for a staff training on how to deal with the press. A special training. Just you and me. What do you think? I had training with public relations when I was first hired. I followed it. Your new press training is that I talk to the press, especially television reporters. Why does television matter more? It's an image, Miss Wu. I'm sure that your hairstyle is quite in vogue, but it's not exactly representative of the university's persona. I see by the look on your face that we understand each other. Gerald picks up his mug, leaving a ring of liquid on Chelsea's wooden desk. Now, who's ready for some lunch? Chelsea blinks back at him, unable to even force a smile. Dr. Lemon and Elaine are sitting at a small table inside a cafe. Elaine sips green tea, glances around the cafe, and taps her fingers on the table. Dr. Lemon cups her hands around her cappuccino and looks steadily past Elaine. A plate of dates sits uneaten between them. Both of them are completely silent for three minutes. This time is for you, Elaine, whenever you're ready. Edith Warden walks in, gathers her dress, and takes a seat next to Dr. Lemon and Elaine. Warden leans over, picks a date off the plate, and pops it in her mouth. Oh, too chewy. Warden kicks off her heels and puts her feet up on the chair in front of her. Elaine does not look at her. What does she know, Elaine? Press her. Maybe she can help you, even within the confines of the rules. Be creative. Dr. Lemon, I'm just wondering. You don't have to tell me. But do you know about the medical leave I was placed on? I'm told it'll be difficult to lift. I believe the university instituted that for you. 
It wasn't my doing, if that's what you're asking. I agreed that I was worried for you, but Dean Wagner processed the paperwork. I don't blame you. I understand how it must have looked to you. I would like to be readmitted to the university, though. And he doesn't seem to think I'm ready. Do you? Women ought to be free, dearest. All the best ones are. I think so. I mean, I think I'm ready. To start fresh. Add classes to my load. Maybe even start writing again. I've gotten a job. I'm supporting myself. That's my girl. Even if you feel ready now, it can be very difficult to start fresh at the same place as before. But it's not even at the same place. Not really. It feels completely new to me. It's important to take time. Please, Dr. Lemon. I did take time. I could have gone anywhere else. But I wanted to come back here. I want to build something. I want to make something. I want to be myself again without my projects of the past. Hmm. The semi-truth never hurt anybody. And you don't think it would be too much for you? School on top of work? Balance is my new favorite skill. I want to see you develop that. Start journaling again. Again? As if you actually did it last time? Write down quotes that inspire you and reflect on your progress. For the purpose of nothing else but your own inner peace. Cheesy. Elaine glances sideways at Warden. Okay, yes, I know I also suggested that. Details, details. I can do that. Okay. In the meantime, have you taken the necessary steps to start re-enrollment? I have. Elaine shuffles through her backpack and pulls out a manila folder. I know that to start classes, I ultimately need to meet with Dean Wagner and have him agree to end my medical leave. Is that something you're prepared to do? Yes. Elaine opens the folder and fidgets with a packet. And... I know that he's going to ask for three recommendations to make sure I've shown growth and am able to balance school and my health. I was hoping you could be one of my references. Make her feel it, dear. I mean, I, I really can't do this without you. Elaine hands over the recommendation packet to Dr. Lemon, who scans the first page. Warden twirls a curled lock of hair around her finger. I shan't be lonely now. I was lonely. I was afraid. But the emptiness and the darkness are gone. When I turn back into myself now, I'm like a child going at night into a room where there's always a light. Well, what do you think? I think that you're going through a lot right now. But you seem truly at peace with this decision, and you don't seem overly anxious or agitated. You're being proactive. I have to look this over, but yes, I will be a reference for you. Thank you, Dr. Lemon. Now I just need to talk to Professor Lincoln. Perhaps the three of us can meet before my meeting with Dean Wagner. Just to make sure I'm fully prepared. I'll be there. Do you have someone else to be your third reference? I'll think about it. Perhaps your manager at your new job? Elaine glances nervously in Wharton's direction. Um, I'll think about it. Life. Always a tightrope or a feather bed. I'm here for you, Elaine. Give me the tightrope every time. Chelsea stands at her closet, sifting through graphic tees and patterned pants, in an attempt to create a bold outfit for the evening. Elaine plops down on Chelsea's bed, in her sweatpants, 
and stares at the ceiling. I know I had it. I know I had it. I wore it exactly three Saturdays ago. I don't think I washed it and I put it back. Dinah meows at the door. Chelsea opens it and Dinah squeezes into the room, purring. So, Mussolini, do you think he's in a, like, angry at Chelsea mood or angry at the world mood? Well, he's definitely not skipping around during his lunch break and leaving french fries for the campus pigeons, if that's what you're asking. Is that really your definition of being chipper? Do you do that? Moral responsibility. Why do you ask? You're not thinking of trying to bring him down again. Dinah jumps up on the bed next to Elaine. She leans away, which only encourages the cat to curl up on her lap. Elaine tries to shoo Dinah away without actually touching her. Not necessarily. Just, you know, wondering how his mood has been influencing his decisions. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Chelsea reaches far back into the mess of hangers and pulls out a bright red t-shirt paired with a black flannel. Ah, ha! That's where you've been hiding. She leans in to take a closer look, only to see that the flannel is covered in cat hair. Dinah! Dinah paws at Elaine's legs in delight. Elaine shifts further away from the cat. Where is the lint roller? Or did she hide that too? She loves to roll it under the couch like it's a cat toy. Dunno, but my ride's coming, so if you're not dressed soon, I'm not going to be able to approve the outfit. Chelsea stops wiping cat hair off her shirt and stares at Elaine. Or tell you that it looks just fine, which I always do, because it always does. What ride, Lainey? I thought we were going together. I told you already. Devin's coming. No, you did not tell me. Oh. Well, it's not a big deal or anything. He didn't have anything to do this weekend. You asked him to come? He didn't even have to invite himself? Why are you acting like this is a revelation? Does he think this is a date? Is it a date? Oh my god, I hope he doesn't think that. It is so not. Why would you think that? Well, you didn't ask me if I wanted a ride, so I'm assuming you want to be alone. That's because I didn't want to stop at the party store on the way again. Does he think this is a date? I have no idea. You asked him to a party for a couple. You didn't invite anyone else. He's a man. You're a babe. Elaine rolls her eyes expressively. Really? All this and you take issue with being called a babe? But... But it's so obviously not a date. You? Because you don't date. You said he's a really cool guy. That he is really nice to you. Can't a man just be nice to a woman for the sake of being a good human being? No. That's ridiculous. He wants you. Chels, come on! Wait, wait. More importantly, is that what you're wearing? She eyes Elaine's sweatpants, an oversized t-shirt that reads, Pizza Rolls, Not Gender Rolls. At least it doesn't have cat hair on it. Oh, you've only lived here for a few weeks. Give it time. Oh, he's almost here. Good luck with the outfit and the, uh... Decorating. She glances at the balloons in the corner that say, A&D, in love forever. Still mad at you for making me go alone. Dinah cocks her head to the side. Wait, you were supposed to bring the giant cake. I'll forgive you if you bring the giant cake. Does it also have that stupid saying on it? Chelsea glares. Fine! Hey, Chels, when you meet him, can you act like, you know, normal? Me? Not to act normal. I cannot even believe you need to give that disclaimer at this stage of our friendship. 
She puts the back of her hand to her forehead and leans back with mock melodrama. I'm offended. Dinah, are you offended? <laughs> Elaine glances at Dinah with disdain. Elaine and Devin enter a crowded restaurant about 15 minutes from campus. Elaine is wearing her feminist t-shirt and jeans and holding an oversized cake that has the same A&D in love forever phrase as the balloons. Devin is a bit overdressed, wearing a striped tie and a button-down shirt. He cuffs his sleeves as he walks in. So, remind me of the dynamic I'm about to walk into. The only thing you need to worry about is a conversation starter about Dungeons and Dragons. Using me for my nerdity. Typical. Elaine spots the signature hot pink balloons across the restaurant, then notices the glittering tablecloth. Drea sips champagne from a customized glass and wears a sash that says bride. Chelsea's says maid of honor. August wears a tiara, presumably meant for Drea. When Chelsea sees them, she taps Drea on the shoulder, who immediately jumps up, holding a bridesmaid's sash for Elaine. Elaine, I finally get to ask you. Oh, Drea, Drea I... puts the sash over Elaine's head. Don't worry, you don't have to say anything. Well, except yes, of course. Do I get one? You must be Devin. August stands up and extends his hand. Gamer extraordinaire. Nice to meet you again. You too, good sir. Chelsea told me you and Elaine work together. Oh, yeah, Drea, this is Devin. Devin, my fiancé, Drea. Ah, the lucky lady that gets to play a lot of Wrath of Olympus too. Oh, you got that right. Chelsea leans toward Elaine. He's kind of cute. Think August might steal him from you? This is what you call acting normal? Hi, you must be Devin. I'm Chelsea. So you're Chelsea. You know, you're one of the only things that Elaine feels comfortable talking to me about. <laughs> yeah, that sounds about right. August gives Elaine a quick hug that is more of an arm squeeze. Elaine flinches. You look good, Harper. Uh, thanks, Sutherland. Nice tiara. I believe Chelsea said it was a crown. Devin speaks excitedly to Drea about his gaming habits. August adjusts what is objectively a tiara and joins their conversation. Glad that reunion's over with. Chelsea appears desperate to keep the group in a pleasant equilibrium. Uh, time for cake! Already? Already? You know what they say? Always start with dessert. Pretty sure no one's ever said that. Uh, Lainey? Cake? Oh! Elaine looks down at the cake and realizes she smudged the middle of the frosting on the way in. Instead of In Love Forever, it now reads In Love Fever. Well, if that isn't a metaphor... Chelsea quickly smudges the rest of the frosted letters into a blur with her fingers before anyone else sees the lettering. She wipes frosting on both Drea and August's nose. Happy engagement! <laughs> Isn't that what you do for birthdays? I'm starting to think my upbringing was not normal. August kisses and then Eskimo kisses Drea, creating a mix of face frosting. Elaine wrinkles her nose and turns away. Chelsea reaches into a colossal stash of party favors under the table. Jeez, did you leave any for the rest of the party store customers? August, still with icing on his face, gapes at the favors. Dude, I'm sorry. Are those personalized kazoos? Chelsea nods enthusiastically. Who makes these? How much do they cost, and why don't I already have one? 
After a while, you just learn not to ask too many questions. August, are the monogram balloons how you wanted them? August now has a mouthful of cake in addition to icing on his nose. Totally, babe. Amazing. He tries to lean in for another kiss, but Drea pulls away. Not while you're chewing. August pulls away like an injured pup, but then leans in and whispers to Chelsea. Hey, Chelsea, um, thanks for following through on the pink theme. I know it's Drea's favorite. He gives her a one-armed hug and nearly gets icing in her hair. Chelsea bows. Tis only my duty as maid. All five now dig into the cake and examine the kazoos. So, August, Elaine tells me you're also a D&D fan. Oh, totally. Actually, I'd invite you to join the squad, but we probably won't be playing for a few Saturdays. We got some big day planning to do. He links arms with Drea, like he's asking for a good boy treat. Just gotta pick that date. Right, hun? They Eskimo kiss again, but Drea is less enthused this time. Do you know when you want the date to be? When? Where? Who? Who? We're working on it. August just got a giant wedding planner binder and sent me an evite for a venue meeting tomorrow afternoon, so... Binder was only five bucks at Big Box. It's this really vibrant yellow color. Devin tries to play going to the chapel on the kazoo, but fails miserably. August chimes in with Wrath of Olympus 2 theme song. Dude, no way. You gotta teach me. August goes through the song, note by note, on the kazoo. Devin is mesmerized. Couples on either side of the group begin glancing over. A waiter comes over to take the group's orders. Drea orders a double shot of Jack and Coke. August just now looks up from his musical performance. Babe's getting in the party spirit. I'll have the same. Drea gives him a sarcastic smile. Chelsea glares at August, giving him her best put the damn kazoos away look. Oh, and an order of wings with cheese dip. Actually, no. I'll have... What do you have that's vegan? Baby, it's fine. Don't worry about it. Babe, I can't not worry about it. The waiter points to a section on the menu, and August orders Drea's favorite falafel appetizer. The waiter nods and walks away. Drea, what's wrong? That was so sweet of you, but I told you I'm not hungry. August pouts at his customized plate. I just thought, you know, if you wanted to share mine... I want you to get what you want to get, because I'm not hungry. I just thought we shouldn't have an engagement dinner without ordering from the shareables. Right, Dre? August, you cook my broccoli and quinoa every Tuesday. And Wednesday. And Thursday. You do more than enough. Aw, babe. August caresses the side of Drea's face and looks deep into her eyes. After a moment, Drea turns away. Elaine shifts uncomfortably, and Chelsea looks torn. Uh, hey, August, have you told everyone about your new awesome job on campus? New job? It's not really new anymore. I just started working with facilities a few months ago. You know, making extra dollars, and it breaks up the monotony of school. But I don't want to think about work. I'm more pumped for next weekend. Next weekend? August puts his arm around Drea. Babe is going to meet my folks. <laughs> wow, the whole giant Sutherland crew. Yep. But they're not too intimidating. We're excited. Right, love? Drea half nods. Right, love? Drea half smiles. You know what? I'm going to go check on those drinks we ordered. Devin scoots his chair back and walks towards the bar. Drea? Love? Love? What? What do you mean, what? Can you just relax a little? What do you mean, relax? (sighs) I guess I just mean that I need a minute. 
Drea pushes in her chair and heads toward the restroom, her sash falling off her shoulder. August stands up. August, stay here. Devin arrives back at the table, holding a mojito and a ginger ale. Our tender sends her apologies. I'll be right back. Me too. Elaine and Chelsea march toward the restroom. Devin stares after them with one drink in each hand. Do they usually do that? August looks at Elaine's full glass of ginger ale with sad, sad eyes. Sometimes. Chelsea and Elaine walk into the women's restroom to see Drea leaning over the sink, taking deep breaths. Chelsea rubs her back. Elaine stands back awkwardly. What's up, Dre? It seems like this is a lot bigger than just August being insensitive. Or maybe too sensitive. Drea nods. We don't have to talk about it now if you don't want to. It's just that up to this point, everything has seemed so... Well, not fantastic, but normal, I guess. Sometimes I'm just sick of it, Chelsea. You know, the intensity. One minute he seems super down-to-earth and smart, and I'm laughing with him and having a great time. The next minute, he can't stop talking about our future and potential children and his job and if I should even have a job, and it's too much, you know? Mm-hmm. Have you talked to him about any of this before? How it makes you feel? I try, but he always gets really defensive. He acts like me wanting space means I don't want to be with him. I just need him to back off a little. And you're sure he has no idea? Back at the table, August is pacing next to Devin. Do you think I should call her? They're in the bathroom. Maybe I should just go and check on them. Dude, no. That was what they're in the bathroom meant. August asks a passing waitress if she will check if Drea is okay in the bathroom. The waitress looks alarmed, especially because she's not even the one in charge of their table. Devin tries to distract August by talking about Dungeons and Dragons characters. Back in the bathroom, Wharton comes out of a stall wearing a bridesmaid sash, pretending to smoke a pink kazoo like it's a cigarette. God, I'm such an idiot. No, he's the idiot. We're all idiots, darling. Blame will only make you bitter. The waitress enters the bathroom, holding a tray of shots for everyone and a glass of ginger ale. No ice. She explains that it was sent from someone outside. Wharton winks at them, sliding a shot off the tray and tossing it back. Ah, that's the ticket. Drea takes two shots of whiskey, one right after the other. Elaine sips her ginger ale and looks at Wharton. I guess I just... There are so many times where he's so sweet, so genuine. He checks up on me, remembers the tiniest details that I tell him. He did ask me in secret to keep everything for the party pink. But then there are the times where I speak up, but I feel like he doesn't hear me. But he thinks he does. And I don't know if that's his fault or my fault or... What? At the table, August blubbers into Devin's shoulder. Dude, I called Drea honey bear. I didn't even... I said I wish they served honey mustard with the falafel. My honey bear. Warden paces around the bathroom, still holding her shot glass. With a shiver of foreboding, he saw his marriage becoming what most of the other marriages about him were. A dull association of material and social interests held together by ignorance on the one side and hypocrisy on the other. Darling, you... Ought to be free. What? Women ought to be free. Not trapped inside someone else's vision for their daily realities. A woman in high heels stumbles into the bathroom. She pushes the other women out of the way and vomits into a bathroom stall. Warden waves the kazoo in front of her nose. 
Ugh. I think Lainey's right. Drea ignores the burst in and looks at Elaine through the mirror appreciatively. You're right. You're both right. I need to speak up. Tell him what I'm feeling. Tell him that maybe our mold of marriage needs to shift to fit both of us. Oh God, that's a lot. I need a distraction. Chelsea looks at Elaine, eyebrows raised. Slumber party? Drea shrugs. Let's get out of here. Back at the table, a plate of uneaten falafel sits in front of August and Devon. The sobbing continues. I don't know what to do. I, I, I mean, sometimes you just gotta give a girl space, you know? I. Do you know what happened the last time I gave a girl space? It was the dark, lonely void of space. Devon awkwardly pats August's head. Maybe we should get you a drink. Drea loves drinks. Elaine and Drea emerge from the bathroom. Chelsea is behind them, supporting the drunk woman who stumbled in. She helps her find her friends at a nearby table. While August cries in his shoulder in oblivion, Devon makes eye contact with Elaine, who gestures that they're leaving. She mouths, I'm sorry. Devon gestures to August as though asking what the hell he should do with him. Elaine shrugs and mouths, Kazoos? Elaine emerges from Chelsea's room the next morning, dressed for her meeting. Chelsea, who was sleeping next to Drea on the couch, rolls over and groans. Three empty wine bottles and two half-empty glasses sit on the floor next to them. The DVD Mona Lisa Smile sits open on the coffee table. You're up already? What time is it? Oh, what century is it? Century 24th. You've been sleeping a long time. Elaine walks over to the tea kettle and turns on the stove. Meeting today. About enrollment. To prepare for Mussolini. Oh my gosh, what kind of universe is this? You waking up before me and knowing your schedule better than I do? Elaine smiles and fishes a packet of green tea out of the cabinet. One where I am hopefully deemed to be a sane individual by the administration. Drea rolls over and mutters in her sleep. Professor Watson, say it ain't so. Say I don't have to marry. Uh, rough night. The kettle whistles and Dinah trots into the room. Elaine pours hot water into a thermos. Good luck. I'm pulling for you, Elaine. Thanks, Chels. Professor Lincoln, Dr. Lemon, and Elaine sit in Lincoln's office. Professor Lincoln examines Elaine's transcript. Edith Wharton leans in the corner, watching, waiting to help Elaine if needed. So, Elaine, you would only have one class left to complete in addition to a department pre-approved capstone to replace your thesis. Does that sound correct? Elaine nods. And you believe you are up to the task of completing a semester-long project? Yes. I've been brainstorming more productive approaches to conflict resolution. Would you like to share some quotes of inspiration with us? Um... Poetry and art are the breath of life to her. Po poetry and That's art. all right, Elaine. Perhaps you can share that with Dr. Lemon in private. I wouldn't want to put you more on the spot. Elaine sighs a breath of relief. And you have your letters of recommendation for both myself and Dr. Lemon. Do you have anything else for Dean Wagner? Did you bring the third reference? Was it the review from your manager? Uh, yes. Chuck, it it's right here. Elaine hands a typed letter signed in Devon's handwriting to Lincoln. Professor Lincoln quickly reads over the letter. 
nods, and sets it on her desk. Excellent. I suppose we can move on to practicing the kinds of questions that Dean Wagner will likely ask. Ah, my forte. Sure. What potential challenges, if any, do you foresee in completing your degree? House of Mirth. Elaine furrows her eyebrows. She had no tolerance for scenes which were not of her own making. Ah, well, I suppose that I do sometimes have a problem when the curriculum is too, um, restrictive. But I will certainly try to be more flexible. Warden tries not to laugh at the understatement. Lincoln looks at Elaine over her glasses. Yes, we definitely know about your need for freedom. But with that comes initiative. If you don't want to be micromanaged, you need to show us that you can handle the independent responsibility. We thrive under pressure. I understand. I'm re-energized. I'm glad to hear that. Let's more directly address the elephant in the room. Your mental health. Under control. Elaine, in your words, please. Wharton disappears. She reappears again across the room. Elaine smiles. Very much under control. Hey, can't I stay? Wharton disappears again. Elaine smiles triumphantly. Glad to hear it. Can you explain to me a bit more? Professor Lincoln looks perplexed. The sign on my door clearly says do not disturb. The door swings open before she is finished. Gerald enters. Elaine freezes. Professor Lincoln removes her spectacles and stands up. Dean Wagner. Professor. Doctor. Miss Harper. I told you via email that I would be in a meeting at this time. I am aware of all of that, Professor Lincoln. I only wish to stop by. Gerald saunters over to a scowling Elaine. He looks out the window while he speaks to her. Miss Harper, I don't believe we've spoken in quite some time. No, we, we haven't. I've been told that the medical leave on your record is currently preventing you from registering classes. I do have a plan to lift that hold, if you complete a special task first. Dean Wagner, we are already discussing with Elaine the necessary steps she must take. I'm talking about my necessary steps, Miss Harper. You may be shocked to hear that your performance last semester made the entire campus community feel a bit, well, let's say unsafe. I am afraid we cannot let you come back without some sort of retraction for the comfort of our own students. That doesn't seem necessary. This statement should prove to all faculty and staff that you are now fully recovered and able to help others at our university succeed. Dean Wagner, that could be traumatizing. It should detail how your escapade was entirely a result of your mental instability and had absolutely nothing to do with the status of your leader. But above all, it should apologize for using false evidence that shook our community. Elaine's thesis presentation was academic. The only person who can judge the content of it is her advisor, me. Please, Professor. Miss Harper co-opted a academic setting to accuse, slander, and frighten. Gerald leans over Elaine, backing her up a step. Or perhaps Miss Harper would like to tell us exactly why she acted so frighteningly irrational. Dean Wagner! You are in a room with Elaine's doctor and her professor, who happens to be a mandatory reporter. Perhaps you would like to have a seat? Away from Elaine? Gerald flashes Elaine a broad grin before stepping away. If you succeed in making a public apology, I think you will see your case approved very, very quickly. 
A letter to the editor in the school paper should suffice. Gerald picks up the letter on Lincoln's desk. I won't even read the fine print. But what if I... That's all. Now, if you'll excuse me, I have to get back to my emails from the press. But if you need a proofreader for your statement, you know where to find me. Gerald straightens his tie and exits the room. The door clicks behind him. The room is completely silent for a moment. Are you okay, Elaine? Elaine nods, though her hands are shaking. That whiny prick of a man-child. Afternoon shifts to evening, uniting shadows and concrete, trees and silhouettes. Gerald exits his office building with a messenger bag slung over his shoulder. He passes buildings and a few students heading home from night classes. As he crosses the student union, he looks to the tree where the dummy had been tied earlier that week. He sees another dummy tied in the same place, though he can't make it out. Not again. Think of something more creative next time. Gerald takes his phone from his pocket as he approaches. His steps unconsciously slow as he nears the tree. Something is indeed tied to the tree, bound to it by rope wrapped repeatedly around the trunk about six feet up. But it isn't a dummy. Oh my God. A young woman, unconscious, is lashed to the tree by the heavy rope. A tattered rainbow flag is wrapped around her. The symbol from the dummy, three crossed swords impaling gender symbols, has been burned into her arm like a brand. Gerald fumbles for his phone to call campus police. This is incoming President Gerald Wagner. I need police and an ambulance at, at the student union. It's an emergency. Dayton Writers Movement presents Unwritten. Executive producers, Chris Burnside, Megan Burnside. Producers, Hannah Adamy, Carrie Zahn. Lead writers, Hannah Adamy, Chris Burnside. Story by Anna Adamy, Chris Burnside, Amanda D, Joey Ferber, Jana Gomes, Kathy Holt, Cece Hutton, Stephen Kallenberg, Grace Poppy, Tavis Taylor, Assistant Director, Megan Burnside, Sound Engineer, Dan Seavers, Theme Song by Joey Ferber, Kelsey Mills, and Ian Mortensen. For more Unwritten, visit our website at unwrittenpodcast.com. This is Jordan Lopez, voice of Chelsea Wu. I wanted to thank you all for listening and remind you to rate and review Unwritten on iTunes. Every review helps us show higher in the rankings. Be sure to follow us on Facebook or Instagram and Twitter at DWM Presents. Thank you.